joy to the world. The Lord is come. Amen. You guys may be seated.
Good morning, CBC fam, and welcome to worship this morning. We're so glad that you're joining us today on this fourth Sunday of Advent. It's a huge blessing to have the privilege to come together, whether in person or online, and worship God, the creator and the sustainer of all life. The one whose voice rang out and the heavens and the earth were created. The one who has redeemed us through the blood of his son, Jesus. The one who is worthy of our praise. As we prepare to worship the living God, I want to ask each of us to examine our own hearts. Are we prepared to worship the Lord God as we see in scripture? Listen to Psalm 95, 1 to 6 as an example. He says this, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, God, our maker. God invites us into this special time with him. So let us come together in worship of the one who is worthy. Come, let us adore. Let's stand together. Wonders 
Amen. You may be seated. fourth Sunday of Advent, love. Today, we light the fourth candle representing the virtue and the priceless gift of overwhelming love. Matthew chapter 22 verses 36 through 40 says, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The Christmas story is filled with examples of love. Joseph's love for Mary, Mary's natural motherly love for Jesus, and ultimately we see God's love for mankind by sending his son for our sake. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 Of the four candles we have lit that represent the four Sundays of Advent, hope, peace, joy, love. Love is the greatest of all these virtues as it encompasses Jesus' purpose for being on earth. As we anticipate Christmas, let us remember our loving Savior, how he came once as a baby that the world through him might be saved, and how he will return in glory.
soon will be coming with fire in his eyes he will ransom his own through clouds he
pray together. Lord God, we have learned to love by your example. We love because you first loved us. Today, let us share that love with each other and the world around us. As we become more like Jesus, help us to love as he did. Help us to love unconditionally and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Mold us more and more into your likeness and strengthen us to view the world through your eyes with love and compassion. May we faithfully serve you until your triumphant return or until you call us home. We pray in the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.
with us. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. We celebrate today this fourth Sunday of Advent, and uh, we look forward to lighting the Christ candle on Christmas Eve. Invite you to participate with us in person at four or six o'clock on Christmas Eve. Uh, we have prepared a special uh, online experience uh, for uh, those who can't be in per- here in person, and uh, that will be available from four o'clock on on Christmas Eve. But, uh, at time of Advent, as we celebrate and remember the arrival of Jesus into our world, the promise of God the Father. Maybe you don't feel much like celebrating. Um, I think that's uh, particularly common today. Uh, The Journal of American Medical Association reports that uh, symptoms of depression are three times higher right now than they were before the pandemic started. More than a, a third of Americans say that they're struggling with anxiety And doing that because of the loss of income or health or isolation or social unrest. This weekend, the New York Times had a headline that uh, said that uh, a season that's uh, typically defined by joy is increasingly defined by grief. Uh, Recognizing that uh, at times like this, uh, holidays, Christmas, uh, can often make that feeling worse. And so this morning, whether you are overwhelmed for some reason with worry, or you feel just fine, you need to hear the gospel today, as do I. I want to remind you that uh, God's timing is always right. Christmas, in fact, proves that. That Christ arrived at the right time. And of course, by that, I don't mean December 25th. That date was chosen centuries after the birth of Jesus. That's because the early church didn't really consider the actual birth date of Jesus to be an important thing. Scripture didn't talk about it, didn't define it. So they didn't focus on that. They focused instead on the the death and the resurrection of Jesus and marking those dates. Since the Bible doesn't specify the, the date of Christ's birth. Many people have done so. In recent years, scholars like uh, Colin Nichol and Michael Heiser point to clues that they gather from both Revelation chapter 13 and from uh, astronomy that put the birth uh, either in September or October. But whatever the precise date of the birth of Jesus, the time was exactly right. At just the right time, God brought salvation into this world through His Son. And at just the right time, God is at work in your life. That's what I want you to hear this morning. That at that right time, God is at work in your life, redeeming, restoring, rescuing, refining, reassuring, renewing, and rejoicing over you with His love. How do we know that? Well, one of the great Christmas verses is Galatians 4.4, and I want to examine that with you this morning. Galatians chapter 4, and it says, it begins this way, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son. 
That word translated fully, the Greek word is pleroma, and uh, just picture, it's used elsewhere in Scripture, uh, of a jar being filled with liquid. So you picture that, that water being filled right up to the brim of the, the vessel, the jar. And pleroma is not the last few drops that, that put it to the brim. Pleroma is the entire contents of that jar being full. Or picture an hourglass. It's an old school way of keeping time. My father used to collect hourglasses. And one of the memorable times that uh, I remember them being used was for colonial Thanksgiving. Uh, let me share with you this picture that was in our city newspaper. That is my dad, my mother, me, and my little brother dressed up in colonial costumes that my mother made from entirety. I mean, the buckles on the shoes, the buttons, the collars, the whole deal. And uh, she did this because uh, my father had planned a colonial Thanksgiving service for our church. And uh, people dressed up, probably not everybody, but uh, some people dressed up. And one feature of this service was something called the tithing man. This was a colonial practice where there was a guy who was assigned to keep order in the service. And uh, he had, as his equipment, a staff that had a knob on one end and a foxtail on the other end. And uh, the colonial practice was that for those who were sleeping, dozing, uh, he would tickle them with the foxtail to keep them alert. Uh, and for rowdy boys particularly, he would wrap them with that knob on the end of the staff to keep them from uh, misbehaving. Uh, our tithing man was a state trooper named Bob who didn't need that staff to look formidable, and he patrolled that uh, Thanksgiving service uh, with that staff and keeping everyone alert. Imagine how, uh, how much fun I had going to school the next day after this appeared in the newspaper. But uh, one of the tasks of Bob, our tithing man, was to keep the time. And my father had a giant hourglass, and that sat up at the front of the service. And Bob, at the beginning of the service, turned that uh, hourglass over to begin the sand dripping from the top to the bottom. And uh, I remember one year where that sand ran out before the service did and Bob turned it back over to the gasps and dismay of particularly the younger people. So imagine that scenario of the, that's Pleroma, when that sand has dripped from the top to the bottom. And at exactly that time, the right time, God sent his son. Jesus arrived at the precise time previously fixed by the Father. So, what made 2,000 years ago the right time? What, what, let, let me suggest some things uh, about why that would be true. One is government. Rome was the government. Ro the Roman Empire had conquered and subdued the known world. And that empire was enormous. And this little town of Bethlehem was under Roman rule. Now, why was that good? Well, Rome kept the peace. They stationed their, their legions everywhere and uh, kept things under control. They also, the Roman Empire, covered the, 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 all that they had conquested with roads and uh, facilitating safe travel throughout the immense Roman Empire. 
And the military was enforcing what is known as the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. That was a peaceful stability that lasted for some 200 years during the time of Christ. And so even though Jesus was born in this little obscure land of Israel, his message, the gospel, could spread throughout the known world across Roman roads uh, peacefully because of the guards there and because Israel was part of the empire. Language might have been a reason. The Roman Empire consisted of many different people groups that had been brought together by conquest, and, and they were brought together in what was called the household of Rome. Rome saw its empire as one big house, one big family. So even though there were many different languages and customs that, that were included, they were forced to be together, Rome decided to make one language universal, and that was Greek. And this brought unity and cohesion to the society. And so that's why the New Testament was written not in Hebrew, not in Aramaic, not in Latin, but in Koine Greek, Koine, common Greek, uh, the, the language of the marketplace. So that was the language everybody spoke, whether you were uh, Gentile or Jewish uh, throughout the Roman Empire, it was the common language. Or religion. The cities of Rome were filled with temples to different gods. The Caesars themselves were worshipped as deities. And the mythical gods of Greece and Rome made people long for something real and satisfying and true. And in the midst of all this, Jesus came declaring that he was the only way to the Father. Out of all these other ways, no, he is the only way. He is the truth. He is the source of real life. And many were ready to listen at that period of time. Morality. Despite Rome's power... What began to happen as the empire crumbled was that it lost its sense of right and wrong. So, for example, all kinds of sexual practices were, were accepted. Uh, brutal violence was, was very common. It even became a form of entertainment, let alone punishment. Everything became more excessive and more corrupt in Rome, and people were looking for something better. As Dr. James Boyce writes about this time period, he says, the world was sunk in a moral abyss so low that even the pagans cried out against it. So in other words, even the, the, the general society wanted a different morality, something better. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus, brought relief from the stain of sin. And it offered not only a, a high moral standard, but it offered the power to keep it through the Holy Spirit. And this was not about more rules and regulations. This was about freedom in Christ. Well, you say, well, we've had governments that were good. We've had more of a universal language. We've had a multiplicity of religions. We have bad morality. So what is it about today? I mean, we, could have, we have technology uh, that could have spread the gospel. Well, I want to point you to the idea of population. Human beings existed for thousands of years before Christ's birth on this planet. But if you include all of those who lived before Jesus was born, right up until today, the total number of people who have ever lived on this planet is 105 billion. 105 billion. What that means is that 98% of all the people ever born were born after Jesus. Imagine that. One social researcher from the University of Michigan says that God's timing couldn't have been more perfect, that Christ showed up just before the exponential explosion in the world's population. 
Christ came on the scene right before population began to explode. So those might have been some of the factors as to why God chose that time, why that was the right time. But frankly, we don't know. Those are guesses from stories in history. But we don't know. Even 2,000 years later, even with the, the insight of Scripture, we don't know why that was the right time. But it was. Because as Galatians 4 tells us, but when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. So let's break this down. That word sent, ex apostoling, is the Greek word, and it means the Son already stood by the Father's side when the Father commissioned Him, sent Him forth. He, the son was already in place. He was already there. Or he could not be sent. He could not be commissioned out. Jesus is God from eternity. He is one with the Father. But he's also distinct from the Father. So we, that, that we need to grasp the Trinity. That the God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each a distinct person and yet one. Jesus was distinct and separate or else He could not be sent as the Spirit could not be sent unless He also was distinct. Never forget that God the Son existed before Bethlehem. Colossians 1 tells us that all things were created by Christ and for Christ. John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh and lived among us. So uh, this was the Father's plan even before creation, 1 Peter 1.20 tells us, that at the right time, the Father would send His Son to save His people from their sin. And Jesus was obedient to the Father. He became human. He made Himself nothing, Philippians 2, humbled Himself even to the point of death on the cross. And everything that Jesus did was commissioned by the authority of the Father. That's what that word sent means. It's a, an authoritative commissioning by the Father. So I want you to be encouraged today that in the back of every promise of Christ is the oath of God. That when your hope is in Christ, it's not in a secondary Savior. It's not in an unauthorized Redeemer. It is in the one of whom the Father said, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Next phrase. Born of a woman. The Gospels tell us that Mary was still a virgin when Jesus was born. That is miraculous and an important truth in and of itself. That's not the emphasis here in Galatians 4.4. 4. Uh, the emphasis here is that the eternal Son of God would now experience human life from the very beginning. Born of a woman. That this eternal God became flesh in this most human way. That the Redeemer has an earthly mother, but He does not have an earthly father. Why would God do it this way? Well, Jesus had to be human in order to fight and win the battle that humans lost. But only a sinless man could undo the sin of man. And only God is sinless. And so at His birth, the eternal Son of God now took on flesh, another nature, he, he both as divine and human nature, as both Son of God and Son of Man, He can now be the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice to provide payment for our sin through His death on the cross. 
The next phrase, born under law. That Jesus' birth immediately placed him under law. I was reading how three years ago, police uh, in Minnesota stopped the car because it was registered to somebody who had a warrant out for their arrest. When they stopped the car, they found that the guy driving was not the guy who owned the car and not wanted. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and he was wanted on a different warrant anyway. So they began to arrest him, and as they did, he produced a get-out-of-jail-free card from the Monopoly game and handed this over. The sheriff's office uh, tweeted out that uh, um, they gave the guy an A for effort, but he was going to go to jail anyway. Uh, I want you to understand today that God sent the most valuable and the only valid get-out-of-jail-free card when he sent Jesus. Because we are all guilty of violating the law of God, his standard of perfection. God's people were imprisoned by law, captive to it for centuries. Generation after generation failed God's holy standard. And every sacrifice in the temple was proof that there were slaves to sin. And the Son was born under that law. He carried the burden of that law with all its restrictions and regulations and requirements. And he lived under the letter of that law and he did not fail as the perfect Son of God. His spotless record showed him to be the only one qualified to satisfy the law's demands. Born under law. Why? To redeem those under law. He was sent to free us from our imprisonment. What was it that confined us? Well, the law is also part of what I think verse 3, the previous verse here in Galatians 4, talks about when it says that every person before Christ was enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. That everyone is enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. What are those? What are these basic truths? Well, it's whatever you do or anyone does to try and earn the favor of God or to try and earn blessing or to deserve good things or to make life work. Those are the elementary principles. It's whatever you're trying to do to make life work. And so if you were Jewish, that meant keeping the law of God and its dietary restrictions and all its many regulations and, and continually offering sacrifices to please God. That's if you're Jewish. If you're non-Jewish, then it's following your conscience or following your religion or doing whatever it was that you thought was right in your own mind or doing whatever you could to make your gods, whatever they are, happy. To do that with gifts, with good works, with pain, with pleasure, with ritual. And all of that, those elementary principles, are all just a form of slavery. They are a death sentence. And Jesus came to free us from that, to redeem us from under that. Why? so that we might receive the full rights as sons. This is actually the word for adoption. That we would be full-fledged children of God. That's why Jesus came. And, and so, you see, when Christ sets us free, sets us free from sin by His death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, by putting our trust in Him alone as Savior, when God sets us free... Uh, through Christ, he, he also moves us into the great household of the Father. We become co-heirs with Jesus. 
We pass from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We're washed clean. We're immersed into Christ. We're robed in His righteousness. And through that adoption, that means we're one with every other person who believes. We're part of the family of God. And when we're redeemed, that doesn't make us all the same. We still have our ethnicity, our nationality, our gender, our life circumstances. But in Christ, we are one. Fully accepted daughters and sons into the family of God. That's the gospel. That's the good news that we must constantly repeat to ourselves. Now, rather than go on to verses 6 and 7, which are extremely important as well, I just want to apply and bring this truth to your heart and to mine right now. The first time that I was ever away from my church over Christmas was when our oldest daughter was giving birth to her, expecting her first child. And so uh, Amy and I, we took a couple of weeks off. We left before Christmas. We took our younger daughter with us. We went to uh, Cincinnati uh, where they were living, and we began the wait for this. Now, in the meantime, we were celebrating. We had a great time together with our son-in-law and our two daughters, and we, uh, we celebrated, we played games, probably played Monopoly. We, we went shopping in a mall. Do you remember when people used to do that? We, we did that together. Christmas came, and it, and it went. And here are my two daughters as we're waiting. You can tell which one is the older one, I think, there. As the days went by, I have to confess, I was looking all the time at my oldest daughter as if she was a bottle of nitroglycerin that was about to explode at any moment. And when is this going to happen? The expected time came and went. And then, finally, as I was nearing just hours away from having to go back. Amy was going to stay no matter how long it took. I had to go back. In the middle of the night, she was taken to the hospital. And a little while later, I am in the waiting room with our son-in-law's parents, and I've never felt more useless in my entire life. Just sitting there waiting, I was probably more nervous than I'd been at the birth of my own children. Sitting in that waiting room and watching, when is this going to happen? I I have to leave soon. Eventually, on January 2nd, John Oliver Shepard was born. And I got to hold him. And what I want to point out to you is that that's where we live. In the waiting room. Every single one of us. That's really what Advent is about too. It's about waiting. You're waiting right now, waiting for an answer to prayer, waiting for a job, waiting for the test results, waiting to retire, waiting for that relationship to be reconciled, waiting to open presents, waiting to meet the right person, waiting to buy a house, waiting for a child, waiting to get the vaccine, waiting for things to get better, waiting for the pain to stop, waiting for the loneliness to end, waiting for the grief to subside. You're waiting. And you get impatient. At least I do. Get frustrated. 
with God's timing. But the reality is that Christmas declares that God always acts at the right time. That's what it declares. That's, that's what we need to grasp and hang on to. And I just want you to listen to some of the many Scriptures that speak about the timing of God and understand what He is doing in your life. Isaiah 49.8 This is what the Lord says. At just the right time, I will answer you. 1 Peter 5.6 Humble yourself under God's mighty hand and He will honor you at the right time. Romans 5.6 At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Ephesians 1.10 This is God's plan. At the right time, He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Galatians 6.9 Don't get discouraged and give up, for we will reap a harvest of blessing at the right time. 1 Timothy 6.15 At the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven, King of kings and Lord of lords. I don't know God's timing. I only have His promise that it is always right. What is it that you're waiting for? Will you trust Him today? Knowing that just as God was at work bringing salvation to the world, at just the right time, God is at work in your life, redeeming, restoring, rescuing, refining, reassuring, renewing, and rejoicing over you with His love. Let's pray. Lord, it is difficult for us in our human finite minds to grasp Your timing. Because as Scripture says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? But Lord, today, instill us by Your Spirit with trust in Your sovereign plan. Fill our hearts with Your love today for all of us who might feel overwhelmed, discouraged, frustrated. Lord, may we be assured that just as You sent Jesus at the right time, so Your plan is still in order and operation. And at just the right time, You are at work in our lives now. For Your glory and honor we pray. Amen. Stay together. If my heart is overwhelmed and I cannot hear your voice, I'll hold on to what is true. Though I cannot see If the storms of life they come And the road ahead gets steep I will lift these hands in faith I will believe I'll remind myself of all that you've done And the life I have because of you
want to ask you to remain standing for a couple of moments. Uh, first of all, to let you know, the, there are a couple of elders available to pray for you in the prayer room, which is just outside those doors, uh, if you would like to be ministered to in that way this morning. Uh, and then uh, why I'm up here at this moment is to recognize uh, Paul Taggart. Uh, this is, uh, we, we recognize milestones of uh, our ministry staff here as they've served at uh, Cypress Bible Church, and this is one of those. Uh, Fifteen years ago, uh, Cypress Bible Church leaders searched for a new worship pastor with the uh, stated goal of changing our services to a more contemporary style. And uh, Paul was selected to fill that role in December of 2005, and uh, admittedly, shifting our style in that way was a formidable task, and uh, Paul accomplished that. Uh, Paul's strengths and uh, skills were what uh, CBC needed at that point in time. Over the years, Paul has uh, brought a great deal of stability to this area of ministry. And uh, we're blessed with, uh, as I've said to him a number of times, we're keeping socially distant here, um, (laughs) that um, uh, we've been blessed with his skill as a musician, a vocalist, and a technician. And that blessing extends to the uh, dedicated and gifted uh, team that Paul has built. Uh, And that team includes not only vocalists and musicians that you see on the platform from Sunday to Sunday, but those involved uh, more behind the scenes with sound and lighting and video and planning and design as well. And uh, over these 15 years, I mean, Paul's family has also expanded all at once. He had adopted like 15 or 20 children, right? It's only five, right? But it seems that way. uh, So uh, in recognition of... uh, 15 years as CBC's worship pastor, we're going to present this gift to you, Paul, and uh, thank God for you. So I'm going to pray a blessing over Paul based on uh, Psalm 33, and let this be our benediction today as well. Lord, we sing to you with joy because you deserve our praise. Thank you for the gifts that you've given Paul. We ask that may he continue to use them for your honor and glory. Thank you for the ways you've worked in him and through him over these 15 years. Bless his family. May they grow and grow strong in your grace. Know that your word holds true. Inspire and empower all of us to leave this gathering today with your melody in our hearts and with your new song on our lips. May we step out into this world depending on you, our God, to save us, to help us, to protect us. Let your unfailing love surround us, O Lord, for our hope is in you alone. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. Go in peace.